Good evening, everyone. I'm Naziati Mohammad Yaqob, and here is another interview with someone that I knew from for for some time. Her name is Huda Najim Al Asedi. Uh, and before I let her introduce herself, um, I knew her from. Um, teaching architecture uh, in University of Malaya. Um, I forgot what year that was, but um, Huda, I, I, I've worked with Huda in, in the book Reka, which was published in 2014, and also in student workshops. And Huda, of course, is a former student from train as an architect um, from the University of Malaya, and she set out to also explore education, uh, becoming a teacher for the Teach for Malaysia program, uh, working with um, various team, teams for, for the community in rural or urban context. I believe she did Teach for Malaysia program in Sarawak. So, um, well, I let Huda explain um, what she is currently doing. And hi, Huda. Hi. <laughs> hi, Dr. Jetty. Thanks for having me. Okay. No, no, no worries. I'm excited to actually um, chat with you or interview you um, on various things because you are passionate about, um, um, well, Lots of things. Lots of things and education. <laughs> Lots of different things, correct. Could you uh, talk about what you're currently doing and, and uh, maybe inform the listeners out there? Um, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. yeah, so I guess where I am right now in 2021, I go about uh, when, I, when I see someone new, I introduce myself as an art educator um, and... I guess when people ask me more, I'll say I have a background in architecture and I'm uh, passionate about creative teaching and learning. So, so yeah, I think, I think that, that's how I introduce myself, although people still don't get it. Uh, it's very tough to explain because it's one of those jobs that I think there is no precedent. Like it's, it's something new. I don't even know what I'm doing half the time. Yeah, yeah my parents are also like... Went to architecture <laughs> school. You went to architecture yeah. school. What was the, the, the good, the positives that, that you got out from architecture school, which is relevant to what you're doing now as an art educator? Yeah, I think so many things. I think there are points where my architecture background, my architecture education was basically the foundation of, it was my art um, art practice. Like I, have, I am formally trained in, in producing artistic output because I went through architecture school. Like only then, it's, I guess it's believable for people out there when I introduce myself, um, because I didn't go to art school, but it seems, I guess, architecture school is yeah. on the same plane. Yeah, and a little bit more as well, because uh, people, people think of architecture. Too. Yeah, yeah. Th there's, yeah, yeah. I, I, I still am trying to understand what architecture school, um, what the experience was, to people who have never been in it. Because lots of times my job brings me to people who did not practice architecture and people who have always known architecture from the outside. 
And I guess I always see myself as a bridge to to these different people outside of architecture bubble. And and it's my it's my duty, it's my responsibility to inform um, even if it's a youngster in high school who wants to continue in architecture, or if it's a an elderly person who wants to renovate their home, like who should they who should they go to? I'm I am that bridge lah. So there's in a- architecture school, I've learned so many things, uh, uh, especially on like uh, how to carry myself as as a person. Yeah, but it's not very straightforward because I really enjoyed my time in architecture school. It's it's yeah. more of the experience that that shaped my character rather than I, I would what like did I actually learn. <laughs> I would like to understand what what is that bridge because uh, explain a bit about the bridge. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I think the bridge. Uh, when I think of a bridge, uh, it it brings us from A to B, right? That there is a place that we start at, and there is a place that we arrive at. And in that journey, it might not be the whole journey, but in that fragment of the journey, we all need a facilitator. We all need someone to guide us along the way. And and even though I am not uh, an architect. Uh, or I, I am not, sometimes it's very hard to call myself an artist, even though a lot of people say, Huda, you are an artist too. I, I don't think so. <laughs> so I am still very much an educator who is uh, helping people on the journey. And, and I, I enjoy facilitating. I enjoy uh, being that person to bounce ideas with. So the bridge is not a, it's a transient space. It's not a, uh, if people want to be something, they're not there yet. And that's where I come in. When they are there already, I'm not there with them anymore. Yeah, so so I see myself as that lah, the connector, the one in, in between. You're the connector mm. because when you talk about facilitator, that is one of the um, skill of an educator. So, um, mm. you know, this is the the guide or the facilitator role is natural for you as an educator, uh, would you say an art educator? Because you have the knowledge of the experience of what being in architecture school, and also you may have a lot of people that you know from architecture who who may not also be be doing uh, mainstream architecture now. As yeah, I, yeah. So I, I enjoy meeting those people. Sorry, you, there are a lot. Yeah, of yeah. People. I en- I enjoy meeting those people who are like, "Hey, I'm an architecture grad too, but we're not architects." And then we have a whole conversation about it. Yeah, yeah, we do. Because like I think there has been an artist that I've met and then after like after knowing her for a year, only I found out she's an architecture grad. And then I was like, we could get along very well. Like, you know, it's just that thing that we have in common. It it's not obvious, but when we found out about it, it somehow gives us warmth. Like, oh, we went through that same process. So this tendency to to want to guide people or facilitate mm. or be the connector um, when you meet people, um, you you felt that in you that you, you it's important to to explain things right to teach really or, or to yeah. share some learning experience maybe is that yeah. your approach to to your uh, uh, students or maybe you know is that is that that is that your philosophy or approach to to teaching is to share your experience yeah, yeah. rather than just one way street. You you would do a two way street sort of uh, interaction. Yeah. You think? Yeah, I think there's a so if we bring in some uh, education philosophies here, like how teaching 
um, I think back then, like the teacher is the the one who has all the knowledge. Back then, when I was a kid, that was still the very much the role of a teacher. Like, cikgu tahu how to do a differentiation, and and all my job with as a student is to learn differentiation from the teacher, nowhere else. But now in the 21st century, information is everywhere. There is there is no difference if your teacher knows 100% on, on that subject or not. So then what makes a good teacher in the 21st century? So part of my training was that that whole mind shift in, in education where the teacher is more of a facilitator rather than just a information provider, right? So back then, I think teachers are experts. Like you cannot find this knowledge. It's important to really attend class and like you know see your teacher to get everything from them but in the 21st century now if you choose not to come to class that's really you know i'm not the teacher who would force people to come to my class but i would always put it out there for students like if you need my help i'm here during class so class is a time where we discuss things is where i would um how do you call it like i would push students uh, in terms of their thinking and that is my role when I'm with them. Like, or else, why are we meeting, right? <laughs> or else, like, you can always just Google things, YouTube it, and then you can learn something new. So, yeah, my role, like a teacher as a facilitator, is something that I uphold um, even until now, when I'm not attached to any school. Um, yeah, I'm, I still carry that wherever I go, yeah. Because um, my teaching uh, changed when I went to training um, in 1998 on social mobilization. Hmm. I went to train as a, under the training of trainers for non-handicapping environment that was um, organized by United Nations ISCAP. We were trained for a week on social mobilization and the things that we trained just changed me because it was in your, um, in, in what we, uh, in, in your bio data, you mentioned about a multidisciplinary approach Meaning that, um, you know, uh, yeah, the, the thing that you said about being a facilitator rather than um, uh, just lecturing students, you know, that you believe in uh, because of the, uh, the information is out there. There is, you know, teachers, uh, well, lecturers or teachers or educators, they have to do it that way now because it's um, yeah. Like uh, I understood that my students they could do something in the second year, which last time they only learned the third year. So you know you can't stagnate students' learning, isn't it? Would you like to comment? Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, I think there is an acceleration in in learning, like in terms of getting that right content, the subject matter that we want our students to learn. I think there's an acceleration in that, but in applying the knowledge that we know. That is where we have to put emphasis on. Because if we're watching a video streamed on YouTube, um, yes, you might get it, but you might not apply it. So this multidisciplinary approach to me in education, um, because I do teach secondary school, um, that's my introduction to teaching, right? So for secondary school students, I would question them, like now that you know uh, this concept in, in maths, let's say, you know, if I give you something right now and I want you to divide it equally among all of you can you do it so it's that it's like getting people to getting the kids to really test whether they get it if they get it they can make things out of it so the hands-on practical approach is something that I always try to push especially in school yeah because we need we're not hands-on enough and I think that comes from architecture school as well I enjoy doing model making and I brought it into school as well like getting kids to build 
uh, the ancient ruins, the ancient civilizations, just so they can understand that. Yeah, you know, yeah. back then. You don't, yeah. I wish you don't rush into that. Uh, you, you, you have to take us into the context of that experience because you mm, know, all right. the audience some context to that explanation of that. Uh, uh, what do you call it? What did it? Had ruins, ancient ruins. <laughs> I, rem- I remember that because I remember following you on I don't know social media, and um, mm. you were using the visual arts to explain history, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so the different subjects. Why was yeah, that back then? Because you, there is a context to your school. Your school was yeah. had a lot of disadvantaged students, right? Yeah, my school. Um, my school was in a very odd space where uh, academic learning is not the main thing. Like people go to school not to get a place in university. People go to school just to just to get a basic education. And this basic education is also, I was teaching 16-year-olds who were still illiterate. They couldn't read. So I was assigned to the subject history, uh, Sejarah. And in history, for 16 years old, we do learn about uh, ancient civilizations. We do learn about world history a little bit, and so like in my head, like I, I understood the difference between ancient Rome and, and ancient Egypt. But my students could not get a clue because the textbook was all in words, and and when I'm telling the story in front, they seem so engaged. But when I tell them to go back and read the book, everyone actually, you know, you can see their face like that puzzled face, like uh, <laughs> that's not going to happen, <laughs> and why not? Then I found out that they were. Yeah, some of them were illiterate. And so to put everyone on the same plane, I thought, let's do a project. And the project was to gather the students after school because it was a, it was a long, uh, the lesson was stretched. If I would get visual arts to teach history, getting kids to draw out, to create um, uh, pyramids out of cardboard, you know, it, it would take some time. And we couldn't do that in school. So I was fortunate enough to be in a school that was uh, a boarding school that was in the middle of... Uh, a rubber, not rubber, it's an oil palm plantation in the rural parts of Sarawak. And, but kids were so happy to just stay on and, and meet me after, after school. All of them. And then um, that one class, that specific class who were eager to learn. Um, and so we also mixed up. There were students from other classes that want to join. Then I say, sure, why not? It's like an after-school activity, but it definitely complements their lack of learning that was in the school time. Yeah, so even though their models were not the best, but it was this, that sheer experience of making it together. And I could hear their discussions, you know, like, like how do we fit the mummy underneath the pyramid? You know, like, how do we create the, the Coliseum is like a, a circular structure? And then it's like, teacher, how do we like mold the cardboard so that it's like round? I don't tell them the answers, but I tell them like, you know, um, use what you have, use what you have around you. Think, where can you get these ideas from? So my role was strictly not to give you not to give them the answer, but to just guide them. And eventually, four hours later, <laughs> we did create they did create something. Not perfect, but when I asked them straight up, like, you know, did this activity help you understand more about ancient history? And um they were happy to recollect their learning, even if it's through discussions that happened earlier with peers. Yeah. Do you think that this there's a problem in education where the emphasis on uh, science, technology, and maths, you know, and uh, students who could do better in languages or, you know, pick up like simply like that, what you illustrated, 
um, you know, um, you know, this is—is is this a society problem or the problem of how we uh, look at education and our country's agenda in 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 being an advanced, a bit developed nation? So those yeah. students who are disadvantaged like that, they're being left out and they can't really um, the love of learning, right? So you you yeah. actually gave like um, some hands-on practical activities like model making, you know, um, and and pick up on creativity, right? Um, yeah. Even like illustrations or painting, mural making or diagrams, yeah, that that mm-hmm, that could mm-hmm. assist. Because it's just that the, the context is illiteracy, right? And people who don't in, don't have in initiative because maybe the parents also don't you know they, they look at the end of the day I'm gonna not be working or I'm, I'm gonna be helping my parents in, in plantation I'm not sure what it is the context mm-hmm. that you're in mm-hmm. with yeah so yeah. this yeah. is maybe you could you could comment on um uh the importance of liberal arts or the importance of arts and humanities and uh, in Malaysia for because not all students are going to be scientists and computer scientists and architects or yeah 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 definitely because my my students so that there were lots of problems in the school I was in Um, but just to cut the story short I think the two main the biggest problems were illiteracy and also lack of resource because the school was very far away from the city and even uh, 4g network did not reach that school so students couldn't just uh, go to the, the the library and go to the internet they couldn't so these things where we have to actually leverage on uh, human as resource so I would um, challenge the students at that time like um, there were lots of elder teachers in school and all teachers got their own story so let's just practice a little bit of history what is history about is about understanding the past and learning from the actions of people in the past. So if you would have an interview with just an elderly teacher in school, you are engaging with history already. So so that part was a bit abstract for my students because they're like, but teacher, our elderly teachers in school are not in our textbook. And I'm like, exactly. The textbook is not everything you need to know about history. The, he- the textbook is only about our Malaysian syllabus history, which is just like a, the tip of the iceberg. So. If I, I, I think there was an advantage as well being in such a school for me because I could focus on the, the core of learning and I didn't have to worry about achieving targets which are uh, examination level and standards, which is what our country is really about, right? Our, I mean, the Malaysian education system, for especially for lower secondary, I'm, I mean, secondary school, primary school too, now it's shifted. Um, but for secondary school, the core has always been about scoring that examination, which at the end of the day, it takes away the fun um, of learning. And, and I like to see myself as a survivor of that because in my, when I was a student myself, there was so much pressure to, to get uh, good grades. And, and seeing my students in this school that is at a disadvantage, they're not the best school in, in, the, in the state or in the country. And so I always wonder, like, does examination even matter to them? Mm-hmm. After, after understanding, after being there for about one year plus, I understood that no, examinations doesn't matter to them. Mm-hmm. So then that, from understanding that part, um, 
putting putting myself in their shoes, going to community visits. Um, I understood that their parents just wanted them to be insan yang baik, right? So meaning like citizens um, who are yeah good Samaritans. That's that's the end of their learning if it's according to their parents. And they're such sweet people because they just want their their children to be functional in society. And then that's when I decided, you know what? I'm not going to force my students to uh, like <laughs> digest the whole history textbook and regurgitate it out. So we focus on why are we even learning history in the first place? Yeah. So, so I guess definitely there is a problem with our country having that importance on science, on on data, on like trying to be very uh, uh, investigative and like if you're doing science, you are smart. I think that was problematic ever since I was a student as well because I always wanted to take art, but society, uh, even my own family always told me, Huda, don't, don't go down that route. And then look where I am now. <laughs> I still... I no, still... you're doing exactly what other <laughs> people are doing. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. No, no, going back... Yeah, and... Yeah, going back into... I, I, I don't know if, like, the liberal arts... I don't know what liberal arts... Uh, yes, before you go there, before you go there, yeah. are we leaving okay. the Sarawak school uh, context and going into Kuala Lumpur and the city context now? Or would you like to say anything else about uh, teaching in Sarawak um, to conclude that part? Because when we talk about liberal arts and all this, you know, uh, your, yeah. your, your students are just surviving, wanting to be literate. Uh, I reckon that if any one of them uh, asking the question, why history, they would go uh, and they would be convinced and that education is important, they would go and study it themselves. You know, it's like homeschooling in a way, you know, they would study yeah. it themselves. But yeah. for those yeah. who, who actually, there are different levels of students, right? The ones that are just surviving. So they actually learn how to ask questions. Maybe they are, they learn about hands-on practical things like visualizing, uh, you know, whatever that is that they can learn. You know, there are different uh, learning levels that is achieved by different students, right? We, as we understand it. So in that sense, um, what would you like to say to the audience, the listeners about your uh, teaching for Malaysia stint at Sarawak in conclusion to that? And because we're going to go into what you're doing now. Your art workshop. Yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's similar because I was in a, a rural school context, and as I transition out of that school, I still see the same characters. I still see the same struggle. I still see the same um, trying to survive moment. Just that the context is different. They might not be surrounded by waterfalls or trees. They are surrounded by um, urban urban context, which of course makes things different slightly, but. At the end of the day, the, the the quest for learning, I think it's it's still there within every kid, yeah. And and when I finished the two years in in Teach for Malaysia in Sarawak, um, it was another quest for me to understand like, is this something that is within Sarawak only? Was it within my school that I was at only, or how do I like when I meet other students from other places? Is it similar or not? So yeah, I guess that's the conclusion, right? Because I end up, I end that chapter with more questions for myself, but then also uh, the journey continues, like to be an educator, which is why I I am doing what I'm doing now, lah. I'm still very much invested in that journey. As so there is one thing you with your peers, other people who are similar to you, like we we went back to um, uh, those who are trained in architecture and those are are not trained in architecture, but uh, 
are creatives, you know. Um, mm. um, though you did, you said that you, earlier that you don't think you're an artist, uh, but uh, more of maybe you're, um, uh, what do you call it? art educator, more than uh, you don't think you're an artist per se. And so do I. I don't think I'm an artist. Illustrator, right? Um, mm. uh, illustrator. And this is part of the creatives, they call it, right? Um, including yeah, architects, yeah. including designers. So what's happening now with the creatives, number one, um, the peers, your peers. And um, number two is um, uh, the learning relationships between teacher and uh, lecturer or mentors with their students. But um, this is the two things that maybe you can sort of uh, explore, uh, you, whichever thing that you want in yeah. whatever context that you want. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think those are two very different things because um, my relationships with mentors and teachers and people I met along the way were not necessarily creatives, but there was something in that journey for, for me, a personal thing, is that I always try to look at things creatively. Yeah, so creativity becomes like a mode for me, a mode of learning for myself. And I try to model that uh, when I am with others and and it's what essentially I'm trying to teach through through the workshops that I'm doing, like art workshops. It's not purely an art workshop. It's a workshop to like um, train train you to see things creatively. And if you can engage that muscle, then then you can take it from there. Yeah, but of course, um, that's still in the works. In terms of like creatives, you mentioned about my peers, um, those who are doing things other than architecture, but came from maybe architecture background too. Uh, or 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 not could be they could be from different different background law school uh, medi- medicine but then end up they are still doing something creatively um yeah i think creativity is such an important uh, it it's like almost like a skill it's considered a 21st century skill and then it's also very much it, like in in career fairs that i see now right it's like the absolute skill that employers are looking for in the next five years. <laughs> so then a lot of people who don't consider themselves creatives today in this world right now, they are actually, there's lots of question marks, like how does one be a creative? How can we get our students to be more creative? And when I meet my friends who we are comfortable calling ourselves creatives, we're like, wow, who would have thought that we are, we're an asset, you know, like people want to seek our advice because they also want to learn how to be more creative. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of things that creatives can do because if we don't have creatives, um, there will not be like a spur of new jobs, right? So what's I the think biggest... as a digital digital yeah. marketer, right? If you think about that. Yeah, and then like... Um... <laughs> what is the biggest challenge uh, for creatives now? The biggest challenge, okay. Because it's very, it's, to me, when you say creatives, it's like all-encompassing the small jobs go, in, go in to your contacts, advertising. Go to your contacts. Because, uh, okay, so to me, a creative, someone who considers themselves a creative mm. is somebody who can, who can manipulate, or not manipulate, somebody who can, who can change something in their, in their worldview, in their surrounding, meaning like they take action to, to create something. If they have no if they have a passion for something, but this thing is not a career, they create that career. To me, that's a creative. And then, um, not necessarily those who engage with 
the art industry or the creative industry. That is an industry. But creatives is someone with this mindset, with this growth mindset that they just want to keep learning and they just want to keep making, um, keep trial and error, you know, and do things. The challenge, of course, is that I think if we don't pace ourselves in, in the endeavors that we are in, we will end up burning ourselves out faster than we think. Yeah, because um, that, that well, I call it like a studio high. Like when I was uh, studying in UM as well, and we were allowed to stay in studio until very late night, you know, because our, our brains were engaged, we just want to keep making, you know, our model's not done, our drawing is going to continue. Sometimes in the middle of that, we got ideas to do paintings, to do, to write a script. But that's when we're in the zone, when we're at studio high level, we don't realize how much time is running, how much, um, like maybe we miss our meal, <laughs> maybe we, we didn't sleep, you know. I think that is the talent. La. We, if we don't know how to pace ourselves, we might be, um, yeah, we might be putting ourselves into a corner and then, and then we, can't, we can't move after that. The burnout is real, yeah. <laughs> so um, um, we're coming to the end of the uh, session. Um, this is a chance for you to to look into the, what we've discussed and and uh, maybe you want to add things or maybe you'd like some advice for pe uh, people your age and those coming out of college. Mm, some advice for people. <laughs> yeah. What, what? I'm like I'm like both thinking like there's so many things to say but there's, I cannot say everything so I'm like selecting in my brain like what to say right now <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, obviously um you said yourself pace uh pace yourself p-a-p-a-c-e yeah yeah you also need to pay yourself you know you have to make, <laughs> you have to do work that makes money and, yeah definitely uh, yeah i heard that um the, the fresh graduates the the the, the salaries are less now you know mm -hmm. and and they have to maybe have a side income or side hustle, yeah? Yeah, yeah. We're all hustlers. I think all fresh grads are bound to be hustlers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think... Yeah, if my students are coming out of architecture school from BSc Architecture, mm. and they're not really convinced about being an architect mm -hmm. uh, or doing MR immediately, what is your mm -hmm. advice to them? Oh, I think I would tell them to just go and explore, like, like what is the one thing that you would you would regret not exploring <laughs> like if you've always wanted to do music you know go for it you know if if you've always wanted to to be an actor in a theater show like go for it so i think after bsc um there's this bit of a window to like soul searching as cliche as it sounds but literally like go out and find something that that you are going to hook yourself to because because what you're seeking is is probably is is probably finding you, right? I mean, like if you want to find something and you you put an effort to it, most probably you will find it. But if you don't take that first step and to do something different and to take that leap of faith, then you'll just end up stagnant. And if after BSc you don't know if you want to do MARC, but you jump onto MARC and then next three years you're still at the same place because you didn't explore the things that you wanted to in the beginning yeah so yeah i think that's that's the advice <laughs> go for it go for it yeah so, um yeah that's good advice and um i i keep thinking about many things here 
um, also the challenge of the 21st century. Um, and then uh, being creative is one of the, the uh, what do you call it? Uh, it's a compulsory skill rather than an additional skill now, you said. In yeah. The yeah, yeah, it's Why changing. Is Why is that, do you know? Why? Because of the boom in different industries. Like, I think, um, okay, so the, the difference between my education journey and the education journey of an average Malaysian who went up to Maktab after SPM, you know, is that if we are a, a teacher in the normal conventional route in Malaysia, we tend to see things about education within Malaysia. But because I joined Teach for Malaysia, there's this global network um, called Teach for All. And we constantly have a sharing uh, session, conferences. Um, we have like, we are assigned to like buddies from halfway around the world. And when we talk about global issues, we see the, the rapid change in, in education, not just what's happening to Malaysia, but in the understanding that this is happening, this is also happening in China, in, in, in the States, you know, in, in Russia, these things are going on. And one day, eventually, the, 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 the waves will hit us in Malaysia. So if we're not prepared for these things now, then, then when, right? So I think if I give an example of um, uh, data analytics, right? So, uh, so there was this time where data is so important. Now we have AI. I mean, we, we all know these things now, especially in the urban areas. So with the rise of the internet, people are collecting data to create like this understanding of like, oh, what does Malaysians uh, generally know? What does Malaysians generally search for on the internet? This data is so valuable because it tells us a lot of things about things that we are we are unaware of yet as a big um, country, and so data analytics is so abstract. But data visualizers are able to turn such data into a diagram, into a a, a, a super uh, interactive graph where you can zoom in at understanding this data and like. Just having that software, you know, just having that website where you can visualize the data, people would pay millions for that. <laughs> and it's, it's such a commodity that, wow, if we don't train our youngsters to create such things, to see where like science and arts, it was never separate in the beginning. It's, it was always together. But if we are still in our archaic world, then too bad for us. <laughs> but I think I'm in the wagon of like, um, not we're not just educating young Malaysians, we're educating global citizens. And if we don't hop onto this understanding today, then we're forever going to be left off, actually. I think that's a very important point because when I went to the Clubhouse app, my age, I have confidence in talking, right? So I just go in and, and, and be a speaker, whatever, if you know about the Clubhouse app. There's a lot, yeah. of, there's a lot of Americans opening because they've been there since May last year, the, the app. So the, mm-hmm. and there's you learn um, and and what I see is the global thinking is not evident in relations that are in the in the you don't see them well maybe one or two because they are already like in their forties you know they're like people of my age you know we are not afraid to talk to other people and get embarrassed if we you know if we just you know be, uh, want to know things you know uh, because. And this entrepreneurial spirit of yours, your entrepreneurship and your understanding about the global citizen, uh, if you were going to the clubhouse, you would you would find it very interesting as well because 
uh, I, I did have some uh, feedback from someone who is uh, who was uh, educated in US and how in, in America, uh, there are innovators. There are a lot of innovators there and that sort of environment because I don't see it so much in in some um, other countries. But mm. And so what I'm trying to say is that um, uh, for people who are your age, you are the exception rather than the rule for your mm. age. Mm. And this is what I notice um, in thinking about like this, in, in being entrepreneurial, in being a global citizen and teaching for Malaysia with that global network helped you. Mine at the age of 37, uh, 30, 38 or thereafter was when I was exposed to United Nations and then I became, uh, well, later PhD, obviously. But, um, you know, we can be caught, uh, we can be trapped in this narrow uh, narrow world, worldview. That's the problem with, with um, and then we, we're not, you know, able to hustle, we're not able to get out of our comfort zone if we stick to the same thing because when we talk about the nation and nation building and this and that going to MR, it may not be there soon you know the same yeah. cushion that was there before you know we're staring at this in Malaysia and in other non-developing uh, or, or non-developed or developing nations mm. you know in, in uh, ASEAN or something you know I find it so refreshing the designers um, clubhouse group from mm-hmm. Southeast Asia you know, mm-hmm. uh, that I felt bigger and I felt there were similar issues and, and uh, different issues. And, you know, being just Malaysians alone, I don't think that we're going to survive if we're still in our same mentality, isn't it, Huda? Maybe you yeah, can just, definitely. Yeah, you can, you can say a few words about that as you can go into the discussion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. I mean... I mean, when you mentioned that I'm, I am an exception, like from my peers, uh, to be honest, that, that, I don't know, to me, it, it sounded very, very fresh because I never thought of myself as the exception. I always, I always had problems fitting in ever since I was younger. And I think like growing older, it's like, you know, you embrace the fact that you're just different and like, so what? <laughs> I think I had a hit part there because, because yeah, I don't, I don't generally identify. I mean, I love I love growing up in Malaysia, but if people ask me, like, are you the average Malaysian? I don't think I am either. La. Like, I can't call myself a Malaysian because I, I understand so many different things. And you know, sometimes I, don't, I disagree with how we run things in Malaysia. So, yeah, I guess, I guess that's if it. People, like, this if people identity. don't know Huda, because this is yeah. audio, uh, mm. listeners, Huda looks like a typical Malaysian. Oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> By the way... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, background, um, a global background in a way, you know, being, uh, and, you know, so um, that is one thing because my, I, I put your generation and my age is different thing because we are, you know, other you got my generation who keep in our little shell, right? But, yeah, um, yeah. but because uh, I think there were a lot of books for us to read when I was young and my father was doing his PhD and we went to San Diego. So maybe that helped, yeah, to to, mm. to be more global. But um, but um, uh, yeah, but but what you said there, Huda, is very important for everyone to 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 be reminded of, you know, um, uh, in 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 the context of our country, but also maybe a food for thought. Yeah, those globally yeah. as well. So yeah. in that note, um, Huda, I I I find it very refreshing conversation that we had. And um, all the best to you and good luck and what you do and wish Thanks. I 
that this shall not be i mean th- there'll be more from you that we'll be hearing from i'm sure yeah yeah definitely sure <laughs> <laughs> okay then we shall uh, finish here and okay uh, thank you listeners for listening in and we shall uh, look uh, please look forward to the next podcast all right bye